Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Hello there and welcome to Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio and another installment of the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, the podcast that is dedicated to our great volunteer fire service and getting all firefighters to embrace the message that developing and displaying and maintaining a professional image and reputation are the duty and responsibility of all of us, whether we're paid, paid on call, or volunteer. Remember, true professionalism is never defined by a paycheck. Tom Merrill here. Thank Thank you so much for joining me. I hope your summer's going well. For me, it's moving along really fast. I mean, I do love the fall season, but hey, summer, slow down a little bit, right? Um, I really am not in a really uh, looking forward to it coming to an end because I've been enjoying every minute of it. A lot of family time, some vacation time, a lot of pool time, still working at the fire alarm office. It's been a busy, crazy, but very enjoyable summer for me and my family, and I hope it's going well for you as well. And as much as I don't want summer to come to an end, as we head toward fall and then the end of the year, I kind of am looking forward to 2024 because that means FDIC would be right around the corner, right? It's inching closer, and I am happy to announce, I'm proud, I'm humbled, that um, extremely honored as well that I've been asked to come back and present again at FDIC 2024. I'll be doing a four-hour professional volunteer fire department workshop, and I hope you can join me. It's scheduled for the Monday, um, I believe that's April 15th, from 8 a.m. till noon. I'm just truly honored to be there. I'm excited because you know how fired up I get for FDIC, and if you've been there, you know why. Um, I never take it for granted that I'm going to be back grant. Uh, be back teaching and participating at FDIC along with so many other great fire service people. It's truly an honor to be among them. And, um, you know, there's such professional people too. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about being professional firefighters in a professional volunteer fire department. And there's a lot of things that we can do both personally and organizationally to exemplify true professionalism. So I hope you can come and join me and join in on the discussion. So start thinking about the great FDIC experience that'll be in April. I know it's a little ways off, but you know what? You know how time flies, just like this summer, right? We'll be here before you know it, and I certainly hope that you can come in and join me. Um, in another couple of weeks, I'll be headed up to Old Forge, New York for the Old Forge Fire School in conjunction with FASNI, which is the Firefighters Association of the State of New York. They do an awesome conference up there. It's in a beautiful area, which coincidentally is one of my family's favorite vacation spots. We've been going up there for well over 20, uh, 20 years now. My brother-in-law has a beautiful spread up there, and we're able to go up and enjoy the beautiful Adirondack Mountains just outside the old Forge area. But I'll be up there presenting a keynote presentation, Professionalism, Passion, and Pride, and it'll be at the Old Forge Fire School in mid-September. And if you're planning on attending, please make sure you say hi to me. I'd love to meet you, and I look forward to it greatly because it's a great conference. 
with great people in a beautiful, beautiful area. So really looking forward to do that. And some other things I'm working on, I've been working with the National Volunteer Fire Council. You know, I do a lot of work for them. They're a great organization. I talk about them all the time. And I'm putting a class together for them. You're going to hear more about it, but I'm in the middle of putting the class together based on a presentation I've done for them called Social Fitness, Skills to Improve Community Relations for the Volunteer Firefighter. And what that class focuses on, there's a lot of little things that we can do in our volunteer fire departments to help improve its reputation, to get along with our communities a little bit better, to treat people in a more respectful manner. You know, no doubt responding to calls and handling emergency scenes successfully and adequately, that's definitely, you know, the concept or a part of being a professional. But oftentimes the public judges us on other little things as well. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some of these, what I call social fitness skills that can help us earn and maintain the public's trust, the public's goodwill. And again, we'll be publishing more information on that as it comes closer. So I've been working on that and my book is still coming out. I promise you that. I've been talking about it for many Uh, months now, but um, this project is coming to an end. So thankful to Fire Engineering Books and Videos for publishing the book, and um, they're basing it on my articles and my presentations that I've done for fire engineering. It's definitely one of the most fun projects I've ever been involved in, and I'm extremely honored and so excited to think that my book will be there at FDIC on the bookshelf with so many great fire service leaders that I have looked up to over the years. Just uh, humbling that my book will be up there. So I'm never going to take that for granted either. I'm so thankful to Fire Engineering Books and Videos and Clarion and all the staff for helping me out, for guiding me, and for giving me the opportunity, quite frankly. So Uh, The Professional Volunteer Fire Department book, I will be letting you know when it's out. It is advertised now on their website that it's coming soon. So you know it'll be out soon, and I'll certainly let you know when it's released. So on this episode, we're going to move in a different direction from where we have been on the last three podcasts. And if you remember, we spent the previous three podcasts talking all things engine company operations with subject matter expert Jeff Shoup. Uh, retired out of the Cleveland Fire Department, and he offered so much great information and provided so many tricks to the trade when it comes to getting water on the fire quickly. But tonight, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about something that, quite honestly, many in our profession don't often talk about. They don't like to talk about it. They don't like to acknowledge that it is a very real problem that exists in our ranks. And that exists even if you're career or volunteer or paid on it doesn't discriminate at all. Um, it's that devastating C word, as we like to call it, and that's cancer. And almost daily, you can find a story about a brother or a sister who passed away from job-related cancer. It, it's very real. We must recognize that. Quite honestly, it sucks, but it's something we must deal with. And it's not really new. The issue of occupational cancer has been on the forefront of firefighter safety discussions for several years now. It's definitely one of the leading causes of firefighter deaths. And again, we need to embrace that and recognize it. And as part of being a professional, maybe we need to understand that we should try to take the steps that are necessary to change the cultures within our organization when it comes to cancer prevention. If not 
for ourselves personally, let's do it for those who we are coming home to, those who want us to come home after a run. Let's do it for our families. And I'm sure every one of you listening can think of a cancer story in your department, an experience involving one of your members. I hope it's not yourself personally that's dealing with that, but we know it's all around us and all of us have had experiences one way or another with this cancer epidemic that's ravaging the fire service. Imagine what that does to our recruitment efforts too. Again, paid or volunteer, right? Join the fire service and get cancer. (laughs) That's a real problem. But that's why I think as professionals, it's important to not just acknowledge it, but to maybe to take the steps that are necessary to mitigate this risk in our firehouse, to show our membership how much we care about them and show how we're being proactive in our efforts to reduce the cancer risk and to show how we value health and wellness programs and to take the steps necessary to protect our brothers and sisters. And fortunately, there are things we can do. There are specific actions and steps we can take in our individual fire department, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how many runs you go on, no matter what your membership size is, no matter if you're paid or volunteer, there's steps we can take to mitigate this very real cancer risk. And just a few months ago, I happened to be sitting down to do my daily fire department reading, and we should all be reading and staying on top of things going on in the fire service. I try to do it daily and came across an article just recently that really impressed me and it was involving a department's efforts at reducing the cancer exposure in their department. It really caught my eye. It impressed me with the steps being taken in this department. So I reached out to the chief and the president and I asked them to join me on the show here to talk about what they've done back home in their home to limit their members carcinogen exposure. Now, it's not always easy. They face some tremendous obstacles. But one thing you know you've heard me talk about before is any project, any endeavor we take that's worth its salt requires us sometimes to really continue marching forward and overcome these obstacles. And this is a very real lesson in how they did that as well. They didn't throw their hands up and just say, well, we met this obstacle. We can't get around it. We just got to move on to something else. Let's talk about maybe changing the soda machine in the firehouse or something. No, they continued on with their efforts and it's quite successful and it's something to be talked about. So I'm very excited to invite these two members on and, uh, Welcome them on to the show and talk about one department's efforts to curb a worldwide issue. So I'm pleased to welcome Chief Tom Bell and their president, Rick Steele, from the Greensburg Volunteer Fire Department in the great state of Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And Chief, I'll start with you. If you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about your volunteer fire department in Greensburg. I know it's a pretty busy department and you've got a lot going on there. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Our department, uh, it basically made up about 297 active volunteer firemen. Um, Say that again, 297? 297. Most volunteer departments have like 20. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. We have, we're very fortunate with the people that we have. Um, There's no doubt about it. And, um, we're, we're, we keep getting some new blood in, um, not what we would like to, but uh, it, at least we're getting a few, you know, here and there. Uh, still, 
showing some interest. Um, we have five engine companies and one truck company in the city of Greensburg. Um, also have three rescues, a dive team, and uh, a bloodhound team. Um, we average about 2,000 calls a year. That's been probably the last few years. Uh, 2,000, a little over 2,000, um, but uh, still sticking right there at that 2,000 average. That comes to five, six calls a day, five and a half calls a day. Um, there, there's some days that you know we go with nothing. And then there's some days, it seems like every half hour something's coming in. There's no doubt about it. Between ambulance assists and uh, burnt food calls and false alarms and uh, public service details, uh, we, we, for our little net community here, uh, we're definitely a busy company. 100% volunteer? Yeah, 100% volunteer, yes. There's, uh, everybody's a volunteer. That's a busy department. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, we go about four or five square mile in here in the city of Greenford, um, and uh, eighteen, I think I want to say fourteen to eighteen thousand is population somewhere around there um, for our city. It's run by council, of course, of council for mayor, um, and uh, but uh, yeah, we pretty good department. There's no doubt about it. I'm just curious, do you do transport EMS? No, we do not transport or do EMS as far as uh, ambulances or anything. We have a actually a ambulance base here in town um, called Mutual Aid Ambulance Service. Um, they're pretty big in the uh, western side of, or I'm sorry, West Portland County. Um, they operate all four corners of our area, north, south, east, and west, not only the city of Greensburg, but our outside we got a large uh, township just outside of the city of Greensburg called Hempfield Township. Um, we also got the city of Jeanette that's close by. We got South Greensburg that's a borough, Southwest Greensburg that's a borough, um, and that's all within you know the outreaches here. You know, two or three minutes outside. Uh, Jeanette right. probably be our furthest. Hempfield Township's pretty big. Um, there's a lot of area to cover, but um, we got a large percentage of our calls that we do assist in the Hempfield Township area because the city sits right in between, um, used to be a large mall complex, east and west. Um, the west mall closed years ago. They built a Walmart center out there with restaurants and um, Home Depot and Lowe's and everything. It's just a huge shopping district right outside of the city. That's on the west side. Now we shift gears to the east side, which our number seven engine sits on the east side. They do a lot of assists outside of town in that way because there's another um, Westmoreland Mall, they call it, that's a big mall complex. And now we have a casino um, out there. It's the uh, live casino. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, live casino out in this area, but um, big casino out there, uh, restaurants galore, car dealerships. So it's a lot of um, response out that way also as a system, you know. Wow. You know, I, I dare say with what you're describing, there's a lot of paid departments out there that have that type of community. And here you're doing it on a volunteer basis. Do you yeah. do you do first responder EMS? Because 2,000 calls, a lot of calls. I got to think there's a lot of EMS in there. Yeah, what we do is we, we don't call first responder. We call AD assists. Um, we have EMTs and stuff that are, again, volunteer. Right. Um, our companies have maybe one, two. Some of them have three or four uh, 
EMTs in them. And uh, when they block on these, what we call AED cysts, um, they're out there, they render care for the ambulance because sometimes uh, ambulance is a little delayed for the the big coverage that they do, just not in the city of Greensburg. Um, they, uh, they do all the outlying area, which we call Greensburg, but again, tax-based city of Greensburg, and then Greensburg is part of Penfield Township and the surrounding area there. Right. So, you know, a lot, and we get a lot of ambulance assist out that way. So we call so how many firehouses? Uh, there are six firehouses in the city of Greensburg, and we also acknowledge our uh, museum as another firehouse, but uh, so it's what we sell. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, listeners, to check out their website, <laughs> they got a lot going on there. They got a proud history. Um, and I saw the museum page, and it's it's worth investigating. And um, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna talk to you, gentlemen, on the site. I think we're gonna do a separate show with you talking about your department and and some of the other things you got going on there. But it just blows my mind. 297 members. You know, I had 70 in under my command when I was chief of department, and that, that's a lot of personalities, a lot of people dealing with different things. And uh, so I give you credit to do it 100% volunteer. That's amazing. And I have the specialized teams, including a bloodhound team that I hear. Yes, we have a bloodhound team. One of our assistant chiefs, his name is Lou Battistella. He's been with the department for a long time also. Um, he's actually my administrative assistant uh, on the side that uh, I give him all the um, paperwork. Uh, he does most of the paperwork, which is God help him. I mean, he, he does yeah. a job there. I, I don't know what I'd do without him. Um, both of us. I mean, anything that we get, he handles, takes care of it. He owns his own business. He does more, I think, on the fire side than he does on his own business. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. We do that. You know, that's, that's, that's the nice thing about it. But uh, our one on team, is very active. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, for a while there, years ago, you go to team, they get maybe a call or two a month or so. Um, there's not a week that goes by he doesn't get a call or two a week. Um, his bloodhounds are very, very active. There's no doubt about it. And the team, he's got a wonderful team behind his daughter's second one in command of this uh, team. She's got uh, one bloodhound, and he's got uh, two. He did have three. One of them passed away. But he had two of them, and I think the total is five or six that they have on the team. But Interesting. Is it search and rescue, or are you going after convicts? Both. Both. Whatever really? Wow. Not, um, just recently here, they had uh, a call that they were trying to find a woman um, somewhere. They went out, and they had no success of finding her, but the dogs hid in an area where they just wouldn't leave. And uh, so they called it, and they started putting some searchers out, walking back, and it was a matter of minutes where the dogs were at. Oh, she was laying in some rocks area, um, you know, pretty well banged up, but uh, she had fallen or something, and uh, they found her. And they were wow. hitting within uh, a couple of hundred feet. That's where she's at. So No they're, kidding. They're very good. There's no doubt about it. They're very good. I've seen these dogs in action, and, uh, you know, they get on a trail, and you can just tell the difference when they're just, you know, nonchalantly walking around they, they think they got something they're going and then once they really really start hitting on something that they take off and you can see the handler struggles wow almost keep them and they know that they got something going on with it. that's incredible my yeah. only experience is from the movie cool hand luke that's all i know about <laughs> after so well that's you know that's impressive it really is um, I also like to talk real quick about your journey in the fire service and President uh, Steele. If I could, I'll start with you. How long you been in? And are you a first generation firefighter? Are you following in the footsteps of somebody? 
No, actually, uh, I am first generation. Um, this is my 35th year in the fire service. So, uh, it, you know, uh, when I was younger, I used to run down the corner, hear the sirens start going, and, and was just fascinated by it. Uh, the day I turned 16, joined the department, and uh, here we sit 35 years later, still doing it. Uh, in the blink of an eye, right? <laughs> oh, it's, it's scary how fast it goes. It really is. Uh, it's amazing. And how about you, Chief? How many years? Well, I'm working on my 41st year for this year. Um, I started in <laughs> 1981. I started out in what they used to call our junior program, the 420 program. Um, that was made up of uh, several young kids between the ages of 14 and 18. Um, our biggest job was filling air bottles and taking them through the fire grounds. Um, we weren't allowed to drive, or uh, sorry, we weren't allowed to ride any trucks. Um, many nights in the middle of the night, I rode a bicycle from where I lived, which was on a golf course on the end of town, sometimes to the other end of town. Took me a little while to get there, but I usually made it if it was an actual working fire. Um, we ran air balls. You know, the fireman would come out, hey, I need an air ball. A 420 member would be right there, change his air bottle out, take it, give him another one. Uh, we'd take it back to the air truck and uh, our other guys were just sitting there, the older guys, 16, 17-year-olds, were the ones that used to run the air truck. Because you had to earn your stripes to get up and run the air truck. Other than that, you were the grunt that ran, you know, half a block to get air balls, bring back the air truck. Because Airbus was always way far away from the uh, fire seat. So running back and forth. So that's what we did there. But um, that was in 1981. I spent 37 years as a fireman. 1985, I became a fireman, full-fledged fireman. Um, and just a quick note, the night that I got uh, blessed in the fire department, had my work, first working house fire. First so, night. First night. First night, we, we just got done with the meeting, started to go upstairs. I was putting my sleeping bag on my bunk and getting ready to end for the night, and boom, we got tapped out for a house wow. fire. Welcome to the fire service. Exactly. <laughs> run right into it right off the beginning. Um, I spent four years as a junior, 37 years as a fireman, and now seven years as the fire chief here at the city. Uh, and did I read you succeeded a chief that was in office for like 60 years or so? Is that true? 63 years. Um, uh, as the chief. Yeah, as the chief. He came right out of uh, the Army, or I'm sorry, Marines. I, 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 oh, don't get that wrong. <laughs> he came right out of Marines, and he was fire chief uh, from then until um, 2018. Or I'm sorry, 2016 when I took over, and he passed away in 2018. Wow. But... That guy was a legend, and I could sit here for two hours and tell you the stories about that gentleman that I've seen from when I was a little kid, growing up at the golf course, me and him and my dad were really good friends. Uh, my dad worked for the city of Greensburg, and being Hotch being the chief of the Greensburg, so there was a lot of intermingling. Hotch would do so many projects in the city, we have things as Lynchfield, the aerobic center. Um, at Mount Eden Park, which is a golf course, is park projects, you know, things that we went We went to Selma, Alabama on a trip, built a playground down there. And my dad was uh, working on the golf course, but, you know, there was things that he was involved in. You know, he had the backhoe. He had the equipment. Hutch would say, okay, I need a ditch dug here. We need something downtown. And our roaming center that we have, that he was the king that designed the roaming center, brought that forth, and that's where we now use as our workout facility and uh, training facility, basically, where we send our guys, we give them three um, memberships there to go and, you know, stay in shape. 
Uh, we beg them to stay in shape. Uh, we, not everybody does it, but we have a large majority that takes uh, advantage of that, uh, working out. But again, he was just a great man. There was no doubt about it. Well, like I said, I think uh, I think I would like to talk to you about maybe do another show someday about your department and some of the accomplishments and storied history. And I tell you, it must be something in the water because. You know, I know Pennsylvania certainly has its challenges, as all the states do when it comes to the volunteer fire service. But um, I did a show last year, maybe two years ago now, another Pennsylvania department that I've become good friends with, uh, the Limerick Fire Department near Philadelphia. I was out there, uh, did my professional volunteer presentation at their, uh, they hosted the state convention a couple of years ago and met some great firefighters out there. And uh, they've accomplished some fantastic programs as well and got so much done. And they're nothing less than professional, as I can tell your organization is. So, you know, Pennsylvania, for all the challenges, you guys got some great departments out there doing some great things. Kudos to you. Where exactly is Greensburg in the state, uh, like relationship wise to some of the big cities like Philly or, or Pittsburgh or any of those? Whereabouts are you? We're located in the southwest corner of Pennsylvania, Westmoreland County. We're approximately 20 miles from the city of Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, we sit 20 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, so about five hours away from Philadelphia. So we're tucked right down there in uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. Well, my brother-in-law just moved to Pittsburgh. So when we visit him, maybe I'll have to look yeah. you gentlemen up. <laughs> you have our contacts. Feel free. You ever want to come see what we do here? You're more than welcome. That's awesome. And you guys, in a, in addition to running the fire department, again, because we talk to people of all different makeups in their departments, that you have real paying jobs aside from the fire department, right? Chief, I believe you're director of public works, right? So yeah. this this is not like a paid position to, to be the chief. You got to support your family and yourself in other ways, right, gentlemen? Yep, that's yeah. correct. There's no doubt about it. Wow. I, I, you know, just a little background is I started with the city of Greensburg when I was about 15 years old. <clears throat> Again, I said I worked on a golf course with my dad being the superintendent there. And uh, I used to water, hand water greens and stuff at night. Um, when all the golfers would go home, I would come out on the golf course and turn sprinklers on. And that was my job for the next couple of years. Uh, in 2000, oh, I'm sorry, in 1988, I'm sure my age. In 1980, I became a full-time employee at the golf course for the city of Greensburg. city of Greensburg, of course, owns the golf course, um, and still today, still owns the golf course. But um, that's when I started my career with the city of Greensburg as an uh, hourly employee. And then in 1997, my dad retired, and that was my schooling background, was uh, the golf course superintendent. And so I had taken over. Um, in 1997 at the golf course, and I spent 20 years there up until 2016. In 2016, um, I was brought into the public works division because between the stint of the golf course and becoming the superintendent there, um, I had six years stint here in the public works as an hourly employee. So uh, I was equipment operator. And, uh, so I kind of earned the stripes, kind of learned the job back then and then 2016 with the retirement of the gentleman that was here uh, i took up that position uh, great just wanted to paint the picture for our listeners of the makeup of your department and that and uh you know again with as big as your department is as busy as it is 100 volunteers is quite an accomplishment and definitely a subject 
for another show. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell our listeners, and Chief, uh, you must be very humble. Uh, I believe you got a big, a big award coming up in another week or so, right? The International Association of Fire Chiefs has chosen you as their chief of the year, and it's the first time it's ever been awarded to a volunteer fire chief. Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment and uh, credit to the volunteer fire service as well. So my congratulations to you as well as I'm sure all our listeners are congratulating you as well. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I I, I do I'm definitely humble about it. I mean, uh, not that I ever sign up for this job to ever be recognized as of the year awards, anything like that. I never looked at it as, you know, I was trying to do something to uh, get the uh, accolades or the acknowledgement. I just, you know, I'm a city boy at heart. Uh, I've been here all my life. I've done it. I've worked. It's just basically city of Greensburg is in my blood period since I was born. Um, this honor is just absolutely just blew me away. Uh, it's funny about it is when, he, when I got the call, um, I, I really thought, you know, what's this joke? I'm thinking somebody's putting somebody after this. And I couldn't speak. I mean, the gentleman was like, hey, I just want to let you know that um, we've uh, our, our panel has chosen you. And I couldn't talk. And he understood. He said, I've done these many times, you know. He said, I understood. And um, just to clarify on that, that chief, um, it, it is given to a volunteer and a, a professional year. Oh, okay. Wasn't, uh, that was actually a misprint. Okay. I thought so. I thought they did a career site and a volunteer site. Exactly. But, yeah. Okay. Well, we, nonetheless. Misprint, yeah, but that misprint was not, um, we were made aware of it right away. Very quickly. Yeah. yeah. People, okay. guys out there, they surely make sure they know that we made a mistake. Yeah, well, it, congratulations nonetheless. A huge honor. And, um, you know, that's just such a great accomplishment. So, as I was saying, I could just tell your department, you know, perusing your website, reading up on it. I love history. I love reading about departments. I always try to get to know the department for the guests I have on the show. And I can tell, um, just like the Limerick Fire Department when I had them on last year, a very, very proud department. You talked about some of your great accomplishments and how innovative you've been with things like your Bloodhound team. And I know you were one of the first to have Hearst Rescue Tools back in the early 70s. We could go on and on, but oh my gosh, proud department, great accomplishments. You gentlemen, along with your other support staff and volunteer members, have done and continue to do so much. You succeed or achieve that serve for over 60 years. And coincidentally, right at that time, your department, like volunteer departments throughout our great country, were having some challenging times. Um, You took over in 2016, and you wanted to implement some goals to overcome some of these challenges. And one of your goals, your number one goal, if I read correctly, was ensuring that you provided your members with the highest level of safety so they could feel safe in the jobs they do and your your administration, your new administration made the theme that everyone's going to go home, and uh, you embrace that. So I want you to talk a little bit about as you got into office, how you came to this theme, and then how you kind of said, "Okay, let's take some steps here." And you identified 
your program for the membership and decon and things like that. So talk about the early stages of how you got into that. Well, the, the, the biggest thing is, is growing up through the fire service, you know, safety is always the number one thing. There's no doubt about it. Everybody preaches it, teaches it, talks about it, incorporates it through everything that you do. You have to be safe in everything that you try to do. Even in the workplace, you know, we have safety committees, safety teams that make sure, want to ensure everybody that's, you know, safe. So in your job, you want to come to work in the morning. You also want to go home in the afternoon. This comes time. And you want to make sure that you try to do the best you can to prevent injuries. And our biggest thing was we were a department that was striving big time in the 80s and 90s. We were, we were you know, uh, 70s. We were first of this and first of many things in this department. And then as things got, you know, to the latter years, um, we just got to the point where we were put on cruise. Yeah, we could, became a little stagnant. Yeah, a little stagnant from where, okay, so everything's apropos. Um, we got one member in maybe in a year here, in another year, we get another member. And, you know, we got under the fire grounds and everybody was taking their, okay, we're going, you know, like they say, you know, hit it hard from the yard. Go, go get them, go, go, go. That's what we were. And again, our chief was great at what he did, and he was a he was the he brought the marine style attitude into the fire service with the guys. You know, everybody was under the drill sergeant. Now, I'm not saying that he was a drill, but that's you know put into perspective. Saying, you know, okay, how did it look? He was the man. You know, listen to him. He took and he took everything. You know, to the point where let's go get. It. You know, you, you charge it, you fight it, you throw everything you got at it, and hopefully you're successful. And 99% of the time, he did that, kept that attitude, and we were perfect. Everything happened good. You know, everybody went home, same thing. But there were some issues. You know, at the time, we were starting to develop uh, incident command. Um, and, you know, there was a certain way uh, our chief did things, and it worked. You know, over in this department, or, I mean, over in this fire department, maybe it wouldn't work as well. Over in this party from anywhere. But it worked well for us. Everybody followed his lead and we were very successful in everything that we did. But we hit that point where we were just getting to the point where, okay, sometimes we look at it and say, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we should look back and change the ways we're doing it. Uh -uh, that's not the way we were doing. We would just keep things going the way we're doing. So getting on to it, my thought is as far as Coming into this, and um, right from the get-go, it was like a couple of months beforehand. I kind of got the notion that uh, things were going to happen in 2016 where he was going to uh, retire. Um, I didn't believe it. This guy was Superman. Everybody, there's no way. I thought I was going to be gone before he would. You know, everybody said, you know what? You know, the way he does things and everything is, you know, how we do things and everything. But we needed a change. We were striving for a change. So at that time, when it came, I, two months prior to that, I started to set the goals of if he decides to hang it up, <clears throat> this is what we're going to do. And the number one thing that I stressed to the two gentlemen that I pulled together with me, I said, look, first thing we're going to do is when we hit the ground running, safety is the first thing. And that's what we did. That's how it all started. On November 14th, 2016, when I got uh, swore in as the fire chief, um, that night I made a phone call to uh, my second, the, the first assistant, which is his name, 
And I told him, I said, look, once we do it, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to do this. And that's when we first started initiating safety, incident command, things, sectoring, you know, just things that we were going to make our fire grounds a lot more safer. And accountability was going to be the number one also uh, thing because in some of the fire grounds, it, it's very tough with 60, 70 guys to keep track of every single person. So if I needed to be able to have eyes everywhere, you've got A, B, C, D on a building. You need to have somebody on A, B, C, D side so you can keep looking to see who's going where, who's doing what. You know, it's accountability, keeping everybody safe. And the, right. I, I made him said something that I should have done. I promised everybody that was going to go home. Every year one we have, everybody was going home. It was a promise I wanted to keep, or that I made, that I want to make sure that I keep. And uh, it, that's a pretty big promise to everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, I made sure that we incorporated things that uh, hopefully I can keep that promise to everybody. You know, like I said, I definitely would like to do a second podcast and talk about you know, your success so far as a leader, you definitely demonstrate that, hey, in the volunteer fire service, you know, sometimes we hear a lot of the the complaining and, and the lack of leadership. And you definitely are showing that in your department that positive leadership, good leadership can make a change and effectively lead volunteers and the results are there. So yeah, that's incredible. Matter of fact, I love your department logo. I meant to say this when I went when I saw it when I talked about your department earlier. Fueled by fire, driven by courage. That is just an amazing. I might steal that. <laughs> that is an amazing uh, expression, and it, it says so much about your department. And so, what's that? This is where it came from. Ah, very good. President Steele gets. I can't, I can't even take credit for that. Honestly, it's my wife. Um, oh, well. If you talk about the things we do, we have so many moving pieces. We're far more than a fire department. We really are. We, uh, we try to service this community the best we can. You know, we have so many other outreach programs. You know, we do Christmas meals and Thanksgiving meals, and we try to develop a, a brand that we can generate revenue by our t-shirts and our logos so that we can do more programs to give back to the community. So, you know, we, we are far more than just a volunteer fire department that just every time the bell rings, we're out there, you know, seven days a week in five different directions on so much more than just fireplace. Wow. You know, and, and as part of one, your safety initiative and everybody going home, you identified this cancer risk that I talked about earlier. Um, you know, we all know that when homes burn today, they're giving off a multitude of carcinogens and much more than in years past. We know that cancer has become a leading cause of firefighter deaths. Um, and as I said, it, right, it doesn't differentiate between paid firefighters and volunteer firefighters. I said, everybody's got a cancer story. In my town alone, back a few years ago, we lost three of my close friends from three different fire departments, three past fire chiefs. One actually was still the chief of his department in like a 14-month period. Uh, Mike Morris, chief of East Amherst Fire Department, we lost him in 2014. Uh, Mark Heim, uh, past chief of North Amherst Fire Department, died in September of 2015, and we lost William Radar Riley uh, in 2015, just uh, or 2016, um, from the Maine Transit Fire Department. And I say these names because I fall back on the old proverb: as long as we speak their names, they're never forgotten. But I also say it so we remember 
the gentlemen, the firefighters that they were, but also that they um, passed away from this terrible cancer epidemic. Three different cancers, highly you know, funky type cancers that can't really be explained. Um, so it hit home with me and I'm sure it hits home with all our listeners. It hit home with you. Um, so you were determined to put this at the top of your list, implement a cancer prevention program in your department, um, recognizing that that will definitely help members go home. And as I said, this wasn't easy. This was a multiple year process it's still going on you outlined it in the article i read which what was the name of that a uh, small town fire department's attempt to curb a worldwide issue right there it identifies to our listeners hey if you got a big department small department a lot of members not a lot of members good funding poor funding you can still implement these steps but i was really impressed at your perseverance through you know some of the obstacles and that's how life is listeners right you've got to persevere you have something you believe in and you meet obstacles, the easy thing is throw your hands up. Well, that didn't work. Forget it. We'll move on to something else. They didn't do that in Greensburg at all. So if you could launch in a little bit about the three steps you took implementing this program, why you did it. We'll talk about some of the obstacles. Um, and I know your first step was to outfit the engines with a, a decon. But uh, if you want to talk about that or what led up to it, go ahead and uh, either one of you. Um, so, first of all, we've all been doing this long enough to see the swing that, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you wanted to be right beside the guy with the dirtiest gear because oh, the yeah. guy was getting out. Badge of honor. Exactly right. <laughs> you know, we all look at that guy's gear. He got a black helmet and his, you know, his yellow coat's black and burnt and all that stuff. Um, we've shifted and done a complete 180 on that. That guy now is ostracized by, hey, Take your gear, break it down, take it to the laundromat and have it laundered. So we've seen that shift in thinking. And, you know, we've also been doing this long enough that we're building a foundation for our younger members. You know, we like to see them get into these good habits of, you know, hey, you come out of a fire, you're going to one of the engines, whichever the chief designates as a decon engine, um, you're going to get gross decon that, that engine. And the whole thing started out basically with a hose and a scrub brush and some plumbing parts that we found around the station and a shower head. And, you know, instead of just taking a booster line and spraying them down, we had this little shower set up that, you know, you could put on different engines, zip tie it on, whatever. And we still carry that. That's actually on all our frontline apparatus. We actually working through the process, came up with something that works, so now every engine is standing. Um, you know, that's one of the other things he, he didn't mention. Through the years, we had five engine companies that operated as five separate engine companies. You'd need something off of this truck, you didn't know where it was, you'd have to find somebody. Now, through his team's work, you know, they standardize all the engines. So if you need the decon and it's not your engine, you know, hey, this is here, you can go here to find this. So we set up gross decon, and that was really the first step in the process, getting gross decon at the scene. Um, and that was easy. That was a couple bucks, some parts, some scrub brushes, some five-gallon buckets, a couple different types of detergents we worked through so that we were safely doing this. We weren't breaking down, you know, some of the chemicals that fire protect the gear, things like that. So 
And if I could ask, there's some commercial ones available. I know. Did you just? Did you went to a hardware store and an auto parts store? Did you put your own together? Yeah, that's how it all started. I mean, it literally was. You know, we found some fittings in the firehouse and we went across the street to the hardware store, and you know, ended up going out to to get a shower head and things like that. And we went and got a scrub brush, and, and yeah, it all started literally just by you know crude configuration and, and, and air. yeah it morphed into you know something that worked for yeah. us we're like okay so now we can standardize this and gave each company in the department their own shower head and bucket and scrub brush and things well, like you that. wanted the members washed off right at the scene yeah and that was a that was a very difficult thing to do because you know in the cold temperatures and you know oh, i wasn't in that much well, i didn't get too close and it was a thing like we don't care, you know, you need to get over there and do decon. You know, I understand it's cold out. I understand that maybe it's too windy and all this other thing, but it needs to be done. That's our first step. And then after that's finished, you know, if it was to the point where it was very bad, where they had come out, I've seen guys that come out with that uh, blown-in insulation on them, they've got it sure. in the heat, they've got it all over, you know, we wash it on, get that suit off, put it in the garbage bag, get it in the apparatus, wear it somewhere, so it's out of the way, put it in the back, so we can get that uh, to the um, laundromat as soon as possible. You know, we don't want you riding around in that apparatus for the next half hour standing here with all that crap on you. Once we get it washed off, I want you that suit to get off. And uh, that was probably the toughest thing is trying to get the guys to continue to do it. And the other tough obstacle we met was get incorporating it. You know, when I'm there doing 14 things and worried about I got a crew that's on the second floor and I get fire blowing out the second floor window. I'm concerned with them. You know, I don't, somebody in my ear saying, hey, we got to set up a unique on you. No, I'm hoping somebody would take care of that. That's the toughest thing we have to do. Initiate it. Get it off the ground every scene of a fire. So that took a little bit of pushing and shoving and, you know, having that I didn't have to initiate it. He's on scene. He comes along. He says, hey, look, I see decon isn't set up. Hey, decon's going to be set up at uh, engine three, you know, right away. So I'm not doing it. I'm Concerned with the fire, who's in there, who's doing on somebody else takes the initiative to set that up. You know, sometimes in the volunteer department, too, it might be easier to say, you know, if you get a little pushback, especially from some of the older guard, to just be, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, right? And uh, we have these. These dysfunctional moments in the volunteer fire service, too, I call them. And and I love what you did by making sure these decon units were on all the rigs because. Um, in the same location too, because I say continuity and consistency can really help achieve success in the volunteer fire department. So you've got them in the same spot. You're consistently reminding members, this is how we're going to do it. Now you're holding people accountable. And I'm sure, I mean, you started this a few years ago, you've had new members join and think about that. That's all they know now. So they're not going to give you a hard time, right? So it's just getting this program some traction, getting it up and running and standing firm, maybe conveying and, and letting people know your expectations with it, sticking to it. And after a few years, I bet you as time goes on, it's gotten easier and easier and less and less people question it. It does in a sense, but uh, it's still tough. No. Even today, you know, it's always this that's not the way we used to do it. <laughs> Perfect thing every day. That's not how we did it. It's not the way Hutch used to do it. We're not, I'm not Hutch. That's not the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way now. And what's nice about him, you know, we have a great 
junior program. That's a whole different story I can tell you, but 22 kids we have in our junior program. Wow. Himself, even just today, a couple hours ago, just finished up their last Wednesday drill. When they were out of school, every Wednesday, these kids get together. He takes them down to our drill tower facility, and he works these kids every Wednesday for what, two hours? Yeah, something like that. Two hours, yeah. Two, and then they're done. They go home. They go in. I had two kids that work for me in the public works as part-time summer help. They cut grass and stuff. And uh, I let them go every Wednesday to make sure they attended. And, again, that's what he preaches to them. Just not only, hey, let's advance a hose line. Let's set up a ladder. He preaches why we do what we do as far as decon, taking your gear. And even the juniors, when they're even close to a fire, we make sure that they take their gear and get longer. You know, no matter if they're never inside the building, but they're close enough where you get an area where you get a lot of smoke from a heavy fire that we're working for hours and stuff, and they get that and they get smoke. Dumb. Don't take a shot. Get that gear off. Let's get it to the um, uh, laundromat. And the laundromat issue, I got a good story behind that. So that's well, we're going we're gonna to get to that laundromat in, in a second, if, if you don't mind. So here's step one was on-scene gross de decon. Um even to the point where you might have members take their gear off and you you have bags on the rigs to bag it up. Yep. So you don't want them getting on the rig. If the, yeah, And I know exactly, you know, we've all been there where you come out of the structure and you're covered in that insulation or you've got carcinogens all over and that old day badge of glory, badge of honor. Uh, no, not anymore. Take it off, right? And again, there's commercial units available. You see them at all the shows. But you could visit your local hardware store, local plumbing store, and put your own decon unit together for our smaller departments, maybe our not-so-well-funded departments. Um, is, is there something they should be aware of as far as soaps? Is that something they sh should make sure they maybe check with their turnout gear manufacturer to make sure they're using the right type of soap? Should Is there a caution there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, uh, we have a couple different manufacturers of gear that we wear now, so... Uh, that was part of the thing of finding a detergent that wouldn't penetrate through the seams and, and degrade seams and things like that. Um, but again, it's not about as much as trying to do a full washdown of the gear at that point. We're doing a gross decon. We want to try to get as much off as possible. Um, and then as we said about stripping the gear off, if they're really bad, um, you know, we experiment with Tyvek suits. Take your gear off. You don't have anything else to put on. Jump in a Tyvek suit. That way, you know, you're not fully exposed. Um, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're in your street clothes or whatever. But it, it takes that and it just separates it. We had yeah. 40 trucks on scene. We came up with a bag system, a tag system, things like that, that we get it, we isolate it. And then from there, that takes us to step two in the process which is actually a commercial laundry. Right, right. And, you know, you, you're taking care of your members. And I got to think deep down inside, every member truly appreciates that, even though they're saying, you know, old Hutch wouldn't have done this in honor of your 63-year <laughs> chief, Hutchinson. Hutchinson, was it? Yeah. Hutchinson. And he passed away? Yeah. Well, as long as we say their names, they're never forgotten. So here's to you, Hutch, you call them, right? Hutch, here you go, Hutch. We're thinking of you, brother. We'll never forget it. Because I guarantee he hears it at least every other day of, like we related earlier. We never yeah. did it that way before. I didn't do it that way. So, again, 
that's part of the change. Right, right. And I tell you this, folks, right? If without getting too emotional here, you think of those firefighters you know who passed away from cancer. You think of firefighters right now who are battling cancer. And I guarantee they'd all be thinking or saying, well, I wish I knew this back then. I wish we were taking those steps when I was a younger firefighter. Maybe they're not even so young and they've got this cancer, right? When I was new in the profession, right? So, you know, think of that. And um, you're to be commended for step one there, you know, gross on-scene decon, which does take us to step two, which is laundering this gear, taking it a step further. And you said, okay, now we need an extractor. That's quite a story there. And, uh, you know, I know cost was a factor and uh, take us through that process. Well, I, I laugh about it because how we stepped on this, I mean, you know, I almost got into a, a strong, strong, very strong argument in a meeting. Uh, you know, we're, we have two boards. We have our Relief Association board and we have what we call our board of control. Um, the Relief Association, of course, I'm sure you're familiar with is a, uh, an entity that we have that we get uh, money from um, what they call the poor fire insurance uh, throughout the state of Pennsylvania, and we get that, that money is allocated. Of course, we have a team of uh, uh, firemen that are on a board, our relief association, that control that. And uh, basically, what we use that money for is safety. Uh, we make sure that we equip our guys with uh, proper uh, fire gear and stuff, helmets, gloves, uh, turnout gear. Um, washing machines, extractors, things like that. Uh, anything that we look at as um, safety, we make sure or we can utilize uh, funds from the Relief Association. But I, I can remember what we were talking about. And we were pushing this and initiating the, you know, the laundering side of uh, our plan that we were going to do. And we had one of our gentlemen that uh, came to the meeting and said, okay, this initiate, this is great. This is one. He was a safety guy from the company he worked for, non-fire related. He said, what you need to do is you need to get these extractors. We need to put one in each station. We need to put a dryer in each station. He's going on our, and I just, I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I said, you know what these things cost? And he went, yeah, I know what they cost, but you're still going to have it. You're going to take care of one way. Members, you're gonna... I said, well, I understand that. But it would be easier is if we had somewhere to go and say, you'll never get that. I mean, we went back and forth and back and forth for half an hour. I mean, we got to the point where, gentleman didn't talk to me for a few months and we were back and forth and he said oh you'll never find somebody that's going to do that there's too much responsibility behind it, taking them apart and doing this and you know you're talking about the carcinogens and you know what about the i mean it, it just it's a long i drove it so from that moment there when i left there i was going to make it my goal that i was going to find this place to do exactly what we're doing. Because yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll tell you what. I went to a gentleman here that's in the city that's called the New Way Laundry, and I said to him, I said, "Hey, I, you know, I, I popped him with this idea, told him what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we want a, a method of trying to prevent cancer with our firemen, and you know, we need this way because we knew that no matter what, we could put the best." washers and dryers in the firehouse, which we already had washers and dryers in most of them, not extractors, just regular home washers and dryers, because at the time it wasn't talked about that temperature and doing this and everything. So they had washers, but 
Who was going to go after three hours spent in a house fire at four o'clock in the morning and sit from four o'clock to whenever, tear their bunker suit, put it in the washer and dryer, take it out, let it extract dry, put it all back together and take it home? No one. And I can guarantee you right now is if that person isn't getting paid to do that, they're not sitting there washing bunker. A very real obstacle being faced in volunteer in firehouses, not just all across the country. You are exactly right. So I wanted to prove that we could do something else and show that we we don't need to do that. We're going to do it for you. So I sold it to this gentleman. I said, look, we'll provide the washer and dryer. All you have to do is provide the service and we'll pay for it. We're not asking it to be done for nothing because we're providing the line. So back and forth in negotiations, we talked about the washer and dryer. He said, why he, he was doing something for the gas company in the local area where these guys were bringing in their suits and stuff and having them laundered at his facility. But he could only do a few at a time. You know, it, it wasn't like he could throw four or five, six of them at one time because his washers and stuff wouldn't handle it. So he said, if I can utilize that also at the same time by doing your bumper suits and everything, he said, uh, I think we can come up with a good deal. So, bango, there's what it, we wound up launching this program where he was going to take the bunker suits, we drop them off, train his employees from Globe. We had Globe come in and say, hey, look, this is the procedures, how things have to be done, how you need to do it to protect yourself, to protect your employees, and all that good stuff. So he had trained two of his employees to do it and himself, went through it, took these, and it's been history since. After a working fire in the city of Greensburg, our people take their bunker gear, whether it's 6, 12, 18, 20 bunker suits, take them up. He has a special drop-off area for them. They're all bagged in garbage bags, you know, tagged with their names and everything on it. He takes them up, parties and boys, take them apart, and he washes them, cleans them, and then calls me the next day. Within 24 hours, 24 hours, some days, if they get them there early enough in the morning, I'll get a call in the evening to have some of them picked up. Wow. It's a great turnaround and very minimal cost for us. And Did you uh, say you provided them the extractor? Or is it a washing or is, is it an extractor unit itself? It is an extractor it's unit. Your department bought the extractor and provided it to the laundromat. Exactly. We had it delivered there. He installed it. He put all the things, bought all the chemical. He, and still today, still provides all the chemical. All we do is drop it off and every month we get a bill for it. And that, it's a perfect way to do it, and everybody does it. If you're not involved in a fire, every company starting in January, we start up company number one. You go and you take your bike and suit. If you haven't had it laundered, or you just use it on fire ground operations, or you just go to a couple of drills, we require everybody at least one time a year. To make sure they have their bunker suits laundered if they're not a firefighter per se in a uh, fire environment. We make sure that we require everybody to have their bunker suit done and it goes one, two, three, six, seven, and eight. The first six months, sure. those guys have the opportunity to just take and drop them off and have them laundered anyways. So you provide the machine, you provided the cleaning agents, you pay a fee, and this laundry local laundry mat partnered with you. And Globe came in, that's your turnout gear manufacturer. They had no problem coming in and working with the, the laundry mat. They came in and, and did that and explained how everything worked and how to take it apart and put it back together. Yeah, the gentleman that we had was very familiar with fire service and everything. He was a um, 
uh, I think it was a maintenance van from one of the big nursing homes here in the city, well, outside of the city, in Hepburn Township. And he was very familiar with the fire service, and I told him the glove manufacturer. He took care of it. He put it all on him. We didn't do anything. It was just like, wow. So after that all happened, I went back to the next meeting, and I had a smile ear to ear because now I'm going to announce this, that we got this. And I said, stood up the meeting, and I said, I just want to tell everybody that now we've got a local laundry service, and all you have to do is drop your material off, your bunker suits, anything, and get them laundered, and they'll return within 24, maybe, you know, a little bit longer than 24 hours, but at least that would be done in 24 hours. And um, like I said, it's after the fact. We didn't speak for a couple months. <laughs> and then, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I care about every individual. I care about everything he was doing. And believe it or not, he came to me a couple months later, and uh, he just said, you know, you're right. He said, I, I apologize. He said, uh, you did what you said you were going to do. And he said, and I apologize. You do care about the membership. Wow. And this is oh. a humbleness. That's a sign of a professional right there. The thing about the program, you know, going back to what he said earlier about having the, the washing machine or the extractors and the dryers in the station, there's no accountability at that level. At this point, we, I mean, we're extremely fortunate that he worked this deal. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a great time saver for us, but there's oh, no yeah. accountability. We now have a record of all of our suits and when they're laundered, you know, so now we're building records on that with everything else. That okay, look, we've had these suits laundered. We can see degradation of the suits, how many times they've been laundered. Um, you know, the second part of this initiative with him going out this is we've started acquiring second suits for, for our more active individuals. I was going to ask you, if you don't mind, I'll jump into that. What in that 24-hour period are the members without gear? Or go ahead and say what you were going to say there. Yeah, through, um, you know, different, again, through the Relief Association, through state grants, um, through different grants, local grants even, um, we've, we've acquired second suits for uh, a majority of our more active individuals. So when they're dropping that first suit off, you know, they're not going unprotected um, if we would get another one. Um, you know, we have ran into the issue over the last couple of years. You know, we're not catching a job a week, but there have been times where we've literally dropped from one structure fire, everybody breaks down, goes home, and later that day or the next day, we're catching another structure fire. And, and you know, our, our frontline people that are our most active individuals, you know, they're still protected by, uh, you know, an in-service backup suit. Wow. That's a great... Uh... Way to meet obstacles head on and not throw your hands up in the air and forget about it. So, uh, and, and kudos to your local laundry service too, for partnering with you. I mean, that's, that, uh, you know, he deserves or she deserves some credit as well. Yeah. I'm so, with that, you know, um, the gentleman that I spoke to back in, <clears throat> it was 2018 is when we initiated this and got things going. Um, he passed away from, uh, esophageal cancer. Um, wow. Yeah, we lost him, um, I think it was two years later, 2020, yeah. during the um, COVID, um, not COVID, but esophageal cancer. Right, Shame. right. How ironic, too, cancer got him. Exactly. And, and we've been fortunate enough that, 
his wife that continued to own and run a laundromat, she just kept it going without a beat because we were kind of, you know, worried that she might sell the laundromat and then we have to go find a new deal or something like that. So we're good enough that she didn't miss a beat. Yep, I will continue to take care of you as long as I own the laundromat. We'll provide you with this service. So it's, it's, we've been very fortunate with that. Yeah. And it doesn't just end with the turnout gear. Your step three now was, okay, we've got helmets, we've got boots, we've got gloves. You know, it used to be we just gave them a rinse and forgot about them. And I dare say, even in departments that do maybe wash their gear, people don't often think about the helmets and the gloves. And like I said, they may just give it a quick rinse and that's it. Oh, I did my gear. I'm good. So let's talk about step three and how you then took it to the next level. Well, here was the thing about it is, you know, we, we talked about the year and we thought about, you know, how, how can we do this? We can't wash in the washer and dryer. And um, I'm going to let Rick talk about this because he's kind of like spearheaded this and came to me and said, I think I have a solution. And yeah, um, probably just on the pre-COVID, um, we found out about a machine called a solo decon washer by Rescue Intellitech. And, um, heard you know about these things being out there uh we traveled up to a fire station up north of pittsburgh to check one out and uh it was a beautiful machine the downfall was it was a three phase power requirement so being that our fire station is the youngest one i think 30 years old at this point so the issue we came back we're like this is awesome this is amazing I said to him, I said, look, here it is. Let's start moving forward on this. Um, but it requires three-phase power. And he's like, I don't know how we can do that. So then we started looking at something called a phase converter that takes single-phase power and ups it to three-phase. But again, it's a tremendous power requirement. It's a very costly add-on to the initial expense of the machine as well. And the project at that point it all. Um, I, I almost thought it was dead at the water at that point. Um, lo and behold, the the owner of the company in Pennsylvania or in United States out of Texas calls me and says, "Hold on, don't throw everything away yet. We have something coming out of FDIC." Okay, so that was February. April rolls around at FDIC. Rescue Intel Attack comes out with a single phase solo washer. Um, it's unfortunately half the size of the larger unit, but it is still going to provide the washing of things like SCBA, SCBA face pieces, boots, gloves, helmet, little parts, pieces, things like that. So at that point, uh, in May, late May, we had a show in Harrisburg that they were bringing this machine from FDIC to. We went out and looked at it. It basically, instead of having all kinds of crazy wiring configurations, had a plug. So at that point, we knew we could probably start looking at re uh, going back and, and bringing this project forward. Um, we went to a few local foundations and uh, were fortunate enough to compile funding to purchase three of these machines. Um, last year, um, February of 2022, 
we have three of these machines installed in the three of our stations. So, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough through, again, hard work and support from various foundations in the area to install three of these machines into three of our stations right now. And that's the solo rescue decon unit, right? Solo rescue? Yeah, that is correct, yeah. And it does helmets, boots, gloves. Does it do SCBA as well? It does do SCBA as well. Um, at, and through our conversation back and forth with you, at the time, and even the time I wrote the article, we had three of them. Um, just last week, I signed a deal to purchase three more. Um, it's actually a new machine that they took the original three-phase machine and now converted it to a single phase machine. So, so it's a bigger machine? Exactly right. It's a bigger machine that will do basically double the capacity of what the smaller machine would do. So um, we signed a deal to purchase three more of those. And again, I went out, beat the pavement, getting the funding from various foundations throughout Western Pennsylvania to do this. Um, we now. By the end of this year, we'll have all six of our fire stations equipped with solar decon washers. So, again, we, we have gotten away from, well, I don't want to go to that fire station and log all my gear over there to do this. Basically, come back from a fire, and it's right in your own station. So, yeah. we're trying to make this as easy as possible for all of our members as well. You know, I could hear one of my members already saying, well, if I got to wash my helmet, then you got to give me a second helmet. <laughs> I guess it's going to be out of service for that. How long does it take to put a unit like a helmet or gloves and that through the washing cycle? It's really quick. Is uh, it? The, the SCBA takes the longest at 12 minutes, um, but there's special cycles. And it's not like you have to turn dials. Everything's preset. You literally put the SCBAs in, close the door, hit the button, and it does everything so you get three measures of detergent, it runs it through the entire cycle, it does everything. At the end of the cycle, it dings, you open the door, pull it out. Now the thing that it doesn't do is, it doesn't dry the equipment. It's not a washer and dryer, it merely is a washer. So there are some issues, you know, the straps are gonna be damp and things like that. Um, to pair up with these machines, we actually went out and um, they were just delivered today. We purchased ski boot dryers. So we have, when they, when they wash their gloves and their helmet and their boots, we have, beside the solo decon washers, a machine where they put their gloves, they put their boots, they put their helmet on, they hit a button, and within two hours, come back, all the stuff is dry. So it's wow. now ready to go back in the sun. Another obstacle you overcame, you know, again, easy to say, well, that ain't going to work, but you guys really put your, how about the turnout gear? How does that get dry? Does it, does the laundromat have dryer proper? Cause isn't there, don't you got to be careful with how you're drying it? There's some that say, don't dry it, let it air dry. Is that an issue? Yeah. The, the, the equipment actually goes into what they call, an, it's like an air cabinet and they're able to put four or five, uh, we, we do three. We likes to do three at a time. Put those three in there, shut the doors, and it dries. Now, it's not like a real high heat temperature or anything like that. I'm not exactly sure what the temperature is, but it does dry. And that's when we get them, they're going to put on and go to work. 
You know, so wow. it, it, and it's the same way with this, you, you know, go back to the solar washers and dryers. You know, I, I'll be honest, I told them, you're crazy. You know what's going to cost to put three phases in somebody's fire? We had two fire halls out of six. You know, try to run a new line and everything and make things three phase instead of single phase. It, it was just cost prohibitive for us to do it, you know. And I know yeah. we have grants and things like that. But yeah. You know, yeah. That, that, no, we're not going to do this. We can't do it. But, Again, like you say, we didn't stop. He didn't stop. He never said, look, the energizer He just keeps going and going and going and going. And then he came back to me and said, hey, guess what? They're coming out with Sarah Payne's machine, and I was so glad to hear that. And I said, yeah. that's fine. We'll go from there. And, and I think it's I think it's important to remind the listeners, you know, so many, including my own department, we still rinse the boots off, we rinse our gloves off. And I can smell it right now when you rinse in your gloves or boots or whatever, you can just smell the carcinogens, can't you? All the soot and everything, it's going into your nostrils. I think it's important to remember, folks, is you're, you're, you're doing a good job, if nothing else, by rinsing it off, but you're getting that on your skin, you're absorbing it, it's another cancer danger. So, um I think that's important to remember if you're going to still have to rinse things off because you don't have the funding or have these units, just be careful. Maybe put latex gloves on or something to protect yourself because you're still absorbing those products of combustion, those carcinogens. You know, one of the things about the helmets is we've never bought helmets. I mean, you might have, but still, that was a bad courage. That is the closest contact, direct contact to your skin through absorption. You have that dirty helmet with those carcinogens wrapping around, going right into the sweatband of the helmet, they're getting absorbed directly into your skin. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing that's missed. And, and we're not better than anybody else. We've never done this for years, but we are now. And, and I think you put right in your article that one look at the dirty water coming out of that machine just showed you what a great job it was doing. Yeah. Even after just taking the, those guys cleaning up the fires, you take the frame off and everything. Even after just taking it right off the dark, coming out of the chain and watching that dirty water, it's just totally you think to yourself, oh my God. Because realistically, if you've ever been in a restaurant where they open up the lid, throw all the dishes in, and they shut, that's exactly what you're doing here. And that big whirly bird on it, set it in there, and it just goes to time, doesn't it? Wow. Fantastic. You know, there's something I want to point out again to our listeners. I talked about how you persevered and how, you know, again, any project we're seeing through um, means you overcome obstacles. The other thing that's important, and I talk about this on previous shows, is again, getting out and getting to the trade shows and seeing the equipment and not just reading about it, not just watching a YouTube video. You went to FDIC to check these units out. You went to Harrisburg to the trade show as professionals as often as possible. Understand sometimes funding and your own personal schedule interferes, but we need to recognize and we need to encourage newer members coming in, just how important it is to go out and see this equipment firsthand and learn about the trends in the fire service. And again, the side benefit is the networking and meeting of the brothers and sisters that are out there. So we're hitting on all cylinders there in so many ways. And I thank you so much for pointing all that stuff out. Yeah, it, it is important. And, uh, you know, Seeing this stuff in action, like you said, you know, you can watch it on YouTube and you can see different videos and things like that. But seeing this machine in action, like he said, we had a bunch of guys standing around, you know, veterans of the service. They've been here forever. 
That guy said, go pull any pack you want off your truck. Bring it over. I'm going to put it in the washer. So they went over and got one. You know, it looks very clean. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and they put it in there. When that cycle was done and you saw that grayish black water, huh. and that was the selling point right there. They're like, okay, we, we see now what we're missing. And, you know, like you said about earlier, the gloves and the helmets, those are things that we very rarely wash. Now we're enacting that into our program moving forward that, again, hey, you guys, these are in your stations. You have to. Now, how about the the silent question that I know listeners are asking? How much have you spent? How much uh, is cost going to be an obstacle for? So I understand the gross decon unit. You know, we can get by probably with you know the hardware store parts and things like that. But purchasing extractors is is not cheap. Or and and you purchased it and provided it to the laundromat. And what about these uh, de- these other decon units? Uh, the solo decon unit is. Are we going to have some Issues with cost? Are there grants available? Actually, I know that I just got an email the other day for that exact unit that there's grants available for it. So yeah. um, walk us through that. Did you have to do some creative budgeting? We had to do a lot of creative budgeting. Um, we're, again, we're very fortunate. We put in some groundwork. Our department has zero dollars invested. Um, you know, I say that proudly because we've gone out and we've approached multiple agencies for years to, to acquire the funding. They're not cheap. They're $32,000 a piece. So again, yes, you know, funding is a big thing, but following his mission that everybody goes home safe and, you know, we believe strongly enough in this that, you know, the cost, yeah, everybody looked at it as like, there's no way we can do this. They're like, okay, we can get one and try it. Well, again, we went out and did the work, and by the end of this year, we're going to have six of them, which it's, I don't know, it leaves me speechless at times that, you know, but that all goes back to everything we do. As I mentioned earlier, we're more than a fire department. We're in the community doing these things, and when you do that kind of stuff, foundations stop and look. You know, mm-hmm. like you referenced earlier, our website looking so professional. We're volunteers that act as professionals in what we do. So when they look, well, why do I want to give them money to do this? What do they do? You know, we see them screaming down the street with their sirens blaring and things like that, but what else are they involved in? They go back and look that we, you know, we do a breast cancer shirt every year and we donate the proceeds to the local breast cancer foundation. We started doing an autism shirt. We donate that money. All the other programs we do, People look at that and say, hey, look, we want to support these people because we see them way more than just answering fire calls and things like that. So, you know, there's so many moving pieces to what we do, but it, it takes a lot of hard work to do it, to be honest with you. Sure does. You know, but it, the results are there. And I dare say the Greensburg Volunteer Fire Department is a professional volunteer fire department. Um, and as I like to say with what you just talked about, we need... And I've said this many times on this podcast and in my presentations, we need our communities as much as they need us. Now, there's some that think, oh, they have no choice. You know, they, they, they have no one else they can call. So it doesn't matter what we do, if we're involved or we're not involved or we care about our community other than going to emergency calls. No, there's a lot more to it, as you just talked about. We need them as much as they need us. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. you look at it as we don't run around and try to do our own horn or anything. You know, we just try to do the best that we think. And I look at it as myself as I have a job to do for the citizens of the city of Greenwich. You know, I make sure that when there's out of town calls and things that go on, you know, I have these trucks go out, these other memberships go out. I have somebody that goes with them. I'm here. This is my town. I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to leave it up to somebody else. I'm going to be here for you. And that's the way we do it. And that's what we try to tell all our, everybody in the cities. We are here just not as a fire department for you, but anything you ever need, we're here. Well said, Chief. Well said. And kudos to the entire organization. Kudos to you two for your leadership. This has been a six-year effort. It's continuing. I know you're investigating, if I remember from the article, uh, one of your next projects is going to be the best way to decon inside the fire apparatus. Um, is there anything you want to say about that? Are you making progress there, or would that be a subject for another show when we have you back on someday? Yeah, that, that would be a subject for another, you know, we're working on finalizing this third phase and, and getting this um, before we move into, you know, what the easiest way is. But, again, it all comes down to safety and doing what's best for the members. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for, for wanting to be on and for our, our listeners. Um, great information here. Um, a three-step process that they implemented to try and meet this cancer problem head-on Again, as professionals, we recognize, we must recognize, you can't bury it under a pillow. This cancer problem is very real. And uh, we all have personal stories uh, relating to cancer in our ranks. So a three-step process here. I encourage you to Google the article, A Small Town Fire Department's Attempt to Curb a Worldwide Issue. You'll find it out there. Was that on Fire Rescue 1? I, I read all the different publications. I'm trying yeah. to remember where I originally saw it. Yeah, Fire Rescue 1. Fire Rescue One, but if you throw that in there, um, a small town fire department's attempt to curb a worldwide issue, it'll summarize what we just talked about. Um, those three very important steps, the gross decon on scene, the laundering of the gear, and then the laundering of the other equipment as well. And it's an ongoing process and uh, lessons here in perseverance, overcoming obstacles, sticking with it, lessons in the importance of getting out and seeing what's out there and talking to manufacturers and going to trade shows. Chief, if somebody, or I'll start with you, President Steele, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you to talk more about it, to tap into your expertise, can you give our listeners some contact information, email, whatever you would like to do? Yeah, um, if you want to check out our website first, it's www.gbgfire.com. Uh, that can take you directly to our website. A lot of what we do, we go on there as well. Um, my personal email address for anybody that has any questions or would like any more information is um, Greensburg, G-R-E-E-N-S-B-U-R-G-794 at Comcast.net. And um, we're always willing to help. You know, we're not living in a bubble here. Uh, we're more than happy to share the information and the knowledge we've gained through this process. And if it could help somebody out down the road, we're more than willing to jump on board and help them out. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Chief, Chief of the Year, Volunteer Fire Chief of the Year, Tom, <laughs> uh, would you, uh, uh, Chief Bell, be willing to let our listeners know if they want to get a hold of you regarding, maybe there's chiefs out there that want to tap into your expertise, not just in this 
recipes, but also the other things you've done to establish expectations, change a culture, move in a new direction. How can they get a hold of you? Sure. Um, again, back to our website. Um, we have contact information on there. My uh, email address is on there. Um, they contact us anytime. And if they don't, or if they can't get to find our website, it's tbell at greensburg, G R E E N S B U R G P A dot org. And uh, I'll answer emails 24 7. There's no doubt about that. That's my work, my uh, fire profession, everything email. So. Excellent. And, um, you know, just as a reminder to our listeners, too, these three steps are just in their four step deconning units, just a few of the steps you can take back home. There's a lot of information out there. If you don't have it on your bookshelf or on your desktop, on your computer, download the Lavender Ribbon Report, which was a joint effort through the National Volunteer Fire Council and the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Um, it outlines 11 best practices that you can implement to help reduce the cancer risk in your volunteer fire, in your firehouse, paid or volunteer. It need not matter. A lot of other things that could be talked about from not just washing the gear and washing your hoods, but showering after incidents, the importance of annual physicals, um, document exposures. Uh, so again, that's the Lavender Ribbon Report. I encourage people to download that. And gentlemen, is there any last tidbits of information or anything else you want to say be, before we uh, move, um, sign off? Uh, first of all, I'd just like to thank you for giving us the forum to get our little story out to everybody else. Um, you know, we appreciate that and recognizing us for what we've done. And hopefully, you know, somebody learns something or, or has a question or we can help somebody else progress forward with, you know, hopefully reducing any exposure to carcinogens that they face in the future. And I, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for definitely saying this and uh, putting us here and being able to talk about our story. And if, uh, if I could tell anybody um, anything, the biggest success is not just the chief of Greensburg. It's the chief of Greensburg and his staff that uh, I uh, handpicked and put together. I could not have done this without this gentleman sitting next to me big time. Um, he don't like to take it. He don't like to hear me, but he's the one that goes out and gets these grants, spends the time looking. He has went to the shows. I mean, he has come back to me and said, hey, this is what I found. What do you want to do? We've initiated put it all together. Ideas here. He goes out and does what he needs to do because he can do it. He has the time. My other guys, all of them. Everybody was, this was a joint effort by a, a complete team. Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest thing. You see our faces sitting here. We are not the Greensburg Volunteer yeah. Fire Department. We are two members of a much larger team that has gone through. You know, we didn't do, you know, this isn't the Tom Bell and Rick Steele show. It's the Greensburg Volunteer Fire Department and the membership that have worked together you know, he had, he established a very strong team right from the start that has done a lot of the work on this. Uh, it's not just he and I. Right, that's the big thing. Is take, that's take some out. I mean, yeah. take some out. I don't you know, uh, cooperation, collaboration, teamwork, right? It's amazing what can be accomplished. That's and thank you so much, President Rick Steele, Chief Tom Bell. Congratulations again, Chief, on the award you're going to receive um, at the conference 
Well, by the time this podcast airs, you will have already received the award. So I'm congratulating you ahead of time. Our listeners congratulate you post-conference, but so well-deserved. Thank you for spending the time here. Chief Tom Bell, President Rick Steele from the Greensburg Volunteer Fire Department in the great state of Pennsylvania, a true professional volunteer fire department. So honored to have you on. Um, Fueled by fire, driven by courage, the Greensburg Volunteer Fire Department, professional volunteers for certain. So thank you. And for my listeners, again, thank you for listening in. I truly appreciate that you take the time to listen to my fire engineering podcast. Again, please check out my Facebook page, the professionalvolunteerfiredepartment.com. I have all sorts of information on there. Also, my website, the professionalvolunteerfiredepartment.com. My Facebook page is the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. Please check it out. I have links to various articles. Maybe I'll I'll put the link to your article on there, gentlemen, as well. Um, And if anyone would, I also have a YouTube channel, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, all sorts of ways to get a hold of me. Um, anything I can do to help, please reach out to me at tamerrill 63 at AOL.com. Yes, I always laugh. My kids make fun of me. They still have AOL. But my next show will be Tuesday, September 26. So thank you again for listening in. Please stay safe. And remember, folks, true professionalism is never defined by a paycheck. Is so well demonstrated by the Greensburg Volunteer Fire Department. In your residence, our own professional service delivered by professional firefighters representing a professional organization. Take care. Thanks.